You're listening to episode 123 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends (laughs) who record (laughs) a podcast together because we (laughs) don't have enough. We oh my god, we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I've been doing this for 122 episodes prior, and I've never messed that up. That is the first time. Like, he's finally cracked, boys. Here we are, 123 episodes in. We've done the damage. It feels like it's been 123 years, frankly. Yeah. I think, I think like, since the first one, this is probably a good enough, uh, good enough reason to shut the book, close it up, and, uh, I mean, frankly, throw it all in the garbage. So we're going to move in with you now? Is that it? Live in the garbage? <laughs> I have a very spacious dumpster. Doesn't look like that. What you call it your apartment? Oh shit! Yeah, it's a trash can. How would yeah. Jess feel about Pete, that? Well, yeah, Pete, stop trash shaming Oscar the Grouch over here. Yeah, <laughs> Jess loves our dumpster. We work very hard on it. My student Jess loans is, are high. I can't help that. Jess is like one of the more well-adjusted members of Sesame Street. She lives in the the apartment that the dumpster is outside of. I, just, I, lift the, I lift the lid to shout goodnight to her every night. <laughs> she she like opens her window to say goodnight to you. She throws a throws a shoe over the fence. Ooh, there's an apple core in here. Awful. All right, so we've got a big show this week. We're gonna talk about heroes in crisis a little bit later. Boom. More like comics in crisis. <laughs> Nice. More like Tom King in Crisis, for real, though. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're also going to talk about the Dark Phoenix trailer, which I am very excited to discuss. Yes. <laughs> Where were you on this day in history? More like mo- movies in Crisis. Because <clears throat> the movie is coming out. Right. More like this podcast oh. in Crisis. Let's exactly. move it along. But before we get to all of that, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us. We are on almost all podcast hosting platforms. While you're checking us out there, make sure to give us a like or the like equivalent of that hosting platform. We are at the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us at comicspals at gmail.com. You can write to us with your thoughts on you know, what we do this week, what we've done any week prior, or if you've got a random question of the week, a buy or sell or anything else like that can hit us up and uh, of course if you were checking this out on youtube thank you very much you can leave us a like drop us a comment share this video with your friends and subscribe to our channel all of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you want to throw out a reminder about some of the book club stuff that we've got out right now Captain Marvel just dropped this past friday so you're gonna want to check that out ahead of the movie i think we just recorded that uh no, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't. Oh, just the other day. Yeah. No. The big red cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big lightning bolt on his chest. <sighs> I thought, that was on Monday. I thought I escaped these jokes when I was done with those podcasts. <laughs> Realized so. Uh, movie still movie still got to come out. Unfortunately, <laughs> See, we got at least another two months. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be talking about uh, Captain Marvel too, the not male version, uh, and uh, yeah, so. We've also got Hellboy. Check that out. That was a lot of fun. Hell yeah. Uh, so if you like that kind of stuff, head over and listen to it. Was somebody about to get a word in there? I thought I heard a joke coming. Sounded kale-like. 
No, it wasn't. Honestly, me. I just I just heard you be like, just go check that stuff out, and then you sighed, and it just <laughs> made me think of like the sad Ben meme, where I'm just like, man, like Sean is a broken shell of a man this week. It's because he got the intro messed up. Yeah, I lost my um. It's like when you cut uh, Samson's hair or whatever. That's how that works. <laughs> yeah, I lost my. I was gonna say. It, it's like you're like a heavyweight boxer and you went into a match that you're like, I got this. This guy is a rookie. He's a chump. And he gets one good shot on you and shakes your confidence, you know? Well, Mike Tyson said it best. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a fact. That's, that's, weird. A plan. that's why I don't get punched well, in the mouth. What's weird about that is I've been thinking about biting Kale's ear off all morning. That's erotic. Save that for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! I feel like every week I learn a little bit more about Sean's sexual appetite. <laughs> <laughs> You're biting erotic furries. Check. No, check. not check. check. Not erotic. Just check. Not at all. Check. I've got people in my personal life talking to me about this. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the most satisfying thing I've heard all week. I don't like that. My my question, Sean, is. Uh, would you like it if Cheetah bit your ear? That's the question. More like nibbled. No, she has insanely sharp teeth. I would lose my ear. <laughs> cool, so it's like the Mike Tyson thing. I mean, it's erotic. Like, you lose your ear. Right. Uh, so, we're going to move on to the Pals Bulls. And we're going to start with Marco. Ronan Island number one. This is a Kale one as well. Yeah, this is uh, a Greg Pak book, mm. and I'm very excited to jump into this. I'm a fan of just like the the samurai stories. Uh, I had been following a Titan book. Um, for, I think it was just called like Samurai Red or something. Um, but I, I like these kind of books. I, I like the how, the way that they usually portray Japanese culture, mm. the action in them, the kind of stories. They're a lot of fun, and so this is obviously by a really a great writer. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. Have you ever read uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, Marco? I have it. I haven't jumped into it though. It's okay. just it's like a massive book. I just I yeah. haven't gotten to yeah. it. Greg Pak is like maybe one of the most underrated popular writers in the industry. Someone that's Hard accomplished as one of the people. Someone that's accomplished as much as he has. Uh, I don't think that gets as much due as he deserves. So uh, I'm interested in this book now. Thanks, guys. That's a really good point. Never thought about that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of somebody else who, like, is on his level in terms of, like, respect from the hardcore that doesn't have that. I don't like, I don't feel like people think of him as, like, like a marquee name, but, like, he definitely is mm-hmm. or, in terms or, of talent and what yeah. he's achieved. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Or at least he should be, because as far as I'm concerned, this is a guy who's easily on the level of scott snyder or whatever do you know what yeah. i mean but sure doesn't doesn't get nearly the recognition he deserves look, there's a i think there's a pretty clear reason you look at his marvel stuff right um the 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 most acclaim he got was a run on the hulk and yeah. that run on the hulk is celebrated obviously but it also took place when the hulk wasn't even around in terms of like he was in space and then Pac never got a shot at anything that was too much bigger than that. World War Hulk, I'm pretty sure it was him. Yes. But yes. that yep. kind of sucked. And that was the last time that he really got to grab the reins over at Marvel of something big. Um, and then he just kind of vanished. 
And but you know what? He did he did two great titles uh, at DC. He did the Batman Superman run. He did twenty seven issues, if I'm not mistaken. After the new fifty two. Yeah, and and then he took over with Aaron Cooter on Action Comics, which was a pretty good run as well. Like this is, and, and he he did the um, second Hulk run with the new Hulk that was uh, pretty acclaimed by readers as well. But none of that really like popped. Yeah, I think I think though I think he's he's out there on that grind and he's had he's had like the continuous work, and even if it hasn't been like huge success i do feel like it has been successful in its yeah. in its oh, circle yeah. you know so uh, yeah i i think i i i would probably agree on the case of like world war hulk but like we read planet hulk as a, a book club I don't, it feels like a thousand years ago now and that was tremendous oh yeah. oh yeah right so i think i kind of I kind of think they just did that World War Hulk, you know, to to have that matchup. But the the Planet Hulk stuff was where the real story was. I, I would right. say World War Hulk was one of the lesser bad Marvel events that came out in that late two thousands period too. No, get out of here! It wasn't great, but I would say it's one of the lesser bad ones because most of them were trash. <laughs> You're trash. <laughs> all right cal move over <laughs> all right uh so we'll, we'll move on uh marco you also chose astro hustle number one. Oh, i have no context for this book i looked solely <laughs> at the cover and the description which i will read for you guys chen andalo uh, the black sheep of a prominent activist family returns after being accidentally put in cryostasis for 60 years Chen, a cosmic criminal, wakes up to find his younger brother is now the president of the galaxy. Chen does what he knows best. He steals stuff and causes a problem. Astral Hustle is a slick and sexy romp through the stars evoking a sci-fi disco era of the late 70s. Boom. That sounds cool as fuck. Yeah. All right. wow. Done. Sold. That's pretty I'm fly. definitely into that. Did you happen to see who's on it? Oh, sorry. Yes, writer is Jai Nitz, penciler Tom Riley, letterer Chris Crank, colorist Ursula Decay. Ursula I don't, I don't know any Decay. Of them. Ursula Decay sounds like the lead singer of an emo band, and I love it. Holy no idea cow. who any of these people are, but the art looks dope. Who's the New publisher? Uh, this is Boom? Dark Horse. Dark Horse. Okay. Okay. Right. Boom. All Boom right. was um, Ronan Island. Uh, can you give us a book report on that at some point? My yeah, dude? yeah, yeah. I'll follow up. <laughs> how many? Uh, how many paragraphs? Five. <laughs> like no, 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 no. <laughs> like half of one. <laughs> yeah, let's actually have you uh, turn in zero. That was that was just a mess. And the fact that Tyler said that that was his favorite segment. Hey, pe- people! Oh. The fans know quality when they see it. Mm. He, he says, says I just spilled as my he wine. spins his wine. I, just, I spilled my wine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's. I just want to let you all know. Whenever you're listening to this, it's eleven thirty in the morning, and my dude is drinking wine. It's five o'clock over here in the dumpster, living the life. Uh, <laughs> it's five wait, o'clock is that water? The Russian of the of the Russian variety. <laughs> Russian water. <laughs> it gets you drunk. all right uh so for also from kill we've got black hammer 45 number one which is a confusing title uh, i mean not if you're not an idiot it's uh (laughs) so it's uh a black hammer uh spinoff that i assume takes place in the in what we're 
being led to believe is the golden age of the Black Hammer verse. Um, it fought, it's uh, Jeff Lemire and um, an artist that I cannot remember. Um, but um, it, it follows a, a crew similar to like the Challengers of the Unknown. Nice. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it looks rad. Matt and Charlene Kent. Oh, really? Wow. All right. That'll be fucking good. Wait, Matt Kent? Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. yeah, that'll be fucking good then. Cool. Sounds awesome. Hey, why is it called Black Hammer? 45. No, I don't care about the 45. Why is it called Black Hammer? Why is the universe called that? Uh, so Black Hammer was uh, a hero who, he very similar to Thor, um, got uh, a magic hammer. And he was, uh, I guess, I think the theme is he has like a, it's Thor mixed with like John Henry. Ooh, the tall tale. Oh, yeah, 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 that's cool. Yeah. Um, is, the ha- is the hammer black? No, the guy is black. Is he? Yeah. Well, John okay. Henry is black, so. It could literally go either way in comic books. Yeah. Um. So so basically, the whole I I haven't gotten to the like, and I don't I don't even know if Jeff Lemire's gotten to the crux of the story and why that matters yet. But, um, his daughter comes in and is like investigating the farm and like why she's trying to figure out why, um, the the core group is stuck on this farm, and so she's the new Black Hammer. Interesting. I like it. Uh, it's very good. It's very good. So from Phil, we've got Green Lantern number five. Much better than Mambo number five. I could promise you that. This is Grant Morrison's. <laughs> Thank you. I like that one. <laughs> um, for my money, this might be the best book being published right now. If not the best, the second best, because obviously Doomsday Clock is still being published as well, which is also on my poll list, which I'm sure we'll all get to. because I think it's on all of our lists. But um, it's been a strong four issues. I think I, my understanding is it's going 12 total, so we're almost halfway there. Um, just between the art and the, and the writing, um, this is just a phenomenal book. Uh, I love when Grant just takes time with like every major character in the DC echelon uh, because every time he does, it's phenomenal. So definitely excited to uh, read that, and uh, maybe we could talk about it next week. Maybe. Uh, you also chose Wildstorm Volume 3. So, I've really enjoyed this book. I have the, the first two volumes, and I've been waiting for... This This is a series I've been trade waiting. This is Warren Ellis, and this is kind of his reimagining of the Wildstorm universe for readers that haven't read Wildstorm, because the really the core of this universe hasn't been published in almost two decades there's been a little periodic stuff here and there in the 2000s, early 2010s with the new 52 launch, but uh, this is kind of reintroducing it to a, a broader audience. And the way he writes it to have kind of real geopolitical ramifications is really, really interesting. Uh, this this is a book I think a lot of people have slept on uh, in 2018, uh, and it's a phenomenal one. So uh, I definitely recommend this to anyone who hasn't been keeping up and i think this is the last volume if i'm not mistaken so mm. i think uh matt murphy is a, a big fan of that book oh it's awesome it's so good i think you'd like it marco right. i've been dying to read this yeah so i think now that i believe it's wrapping up I, I could be wrong i'm sure matt will write in and correct me uh if i am uh 
then now's a good time as any to pick it up. And then last but not least, Pete, Phil, and myself all chose Doomsday Clock number nine. The Muse is back! Yeah, it's about time. It's been a while. Uh, we've all it's been, been waiting patiently. <laughs> it's been too long uh, since the last oh, issue. Oh, we get to see Swamp Thing in this one. Hey. Oh, no, okay, I guess we're not going to read it next week. Literally oh, the only thing that could kill my hype for this book. <laughs> <laughs> Let me double check if it's this one or if it's the next issue. Of, co- of course he has like a Swamp Thing like hype counter for any book he's about to be in. There is. The, yo, there is. Go to Roots of the Swamp Thing on his Instagram. He has them laid out. You're welcome. On his Instagram? On his Instagram. You're welcome, uh, Swamp Thing fans. Oh, it turns out Swamp Thing is going to be in Harley Quinn 69 next year. Oh, I'm ready for Hot. that. Oh, God. Meanwhile. But, yeah. Yeah, this... Uh, it's been good. The last two issues particularly have been real standouts. Um, I think we're pretty much entering the climax of the story. Uh, and Dr. Manhattan is making his kind of big move here. Uh, I'm really excited. I'm probably going to reread the first eight issues before this one because, like... I agree with you that I feel like we're really getting to the meat of the story now, and I, I want to make sure that I'm, like, prepared to pick up on all the little nuances, you know? Because um, I, as much as, like, I don't I don't mind the delays, like I've said, like, I'd rather this book be, you know, a masterpiece than on time, um, I definitely think it's hurt the, like, pacing of it a little bit, because, like... I'm just, I'm so ready for the next chapter, but I feel like it's been like, what, three months now? Three months. Since the last issue? Yeah. It's like, man, like that weight is starting to like, I'm starting to feel it between issues when like the next one comes out and I'm excited and I'm like, what happened in the last one? Yeah. You know, like. That's fair. But I I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, this, this book has been a great ride and I'm really excited to see where the last couple issues take us because we're home stretch now here. Absolutely. Can't wait. So, let's jump right into the news. Let's start... Batwatch? No. No, 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 no. No, no that segment doesn't exist anymore. Ha <laughs> uh, Let's start with <laughs> the best thing that happened this week. The Dark Phoenix trailer. Boo. Now, this is technically the second trailer, but the first trailer for this movie came out so long ago that I don't think most people remembered that this was a movie. So I sure don't remember it. Yeah, was Donald was Donald Trump president when this first trailer <laughs> came out? I don't think so. He absolutely was. Come on. Okay. Um, he's been he's been president for so long. You mean Wilson, Wilson Fisk? Wilson Fisk, guys. The the first trailer actually came out five months ago. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So with this second trailer, it was very much treated like the first, like it was the first, and I can't even begin to count the ways that this trailer is just the last stand. Yeah. So X Men three, yeah, in twenty nineteen, just yeah, sans a guy with claws, yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> Immense, immensely less body hair so far. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll turn it over to you guys before I share my thoughts. What would you guys make of this? 
I mean, I, I think you already like summed it up, man. It's like it feels like a retreading of a movie that wasn't good ten years ago and is probably somehow going to be worse now. Like I, I don't know, man. This did not do it for me. Like I, I, I want to be excited for this because like I love the X Men, but like, oof, like it just looks so like. I don't know, it feels like a movie that's been in development for a really long time when I watch this trailer. Where I'm just like, it feels like very like... The the stuff that was predictable was very predictable. The trailer gave away a lot while like trying to feel like it was playing its cards close to its chest. And it's just like, nothing about it was appealing to me. Like, none of the like emotional moments felt like particularly interesting to me. And like, I think the costumes look kind of like, eh... Yeah. Um, like, I feel like Mystique looks worse in this movie than in her first appearance. I Yeah, it, it looks like, it, it looked to me like the budget overall had been reduced for some of the special effects and some of the actual props yeah. and, like, stages. Like, it, I, I noticed that, too, with uh, Mystique and then even the moment where they're, like, in this, in the train, it looked odd. I still like the X-Men uniforms, though. I think they still Yeah, yeah, the jumpsuits decent. are fine. Yeah. But I, I just feel like the effects and, like, the makeup and stuff look, like, kind of budget. Yeah. You know? And it's like, ooh. The only person who really bothered me the way they looked in this trailer was Mystique. And um, it's it's kind of hard to talk about this trailer without talking about what is a massive spoiler. Wee woo. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers at all about this movie for whatever reason, you can skip ahead. I We've got timestamps. Um I, that's that's weird because it already came out. Yeah, I it's know. But people might be avoiding trailers. <laughs> yeah, there no, may be the people. movie already came out. It's like a fifteen-year-old movie at this point. <laughs> um, so it, it's pretty clear that Mystique dies in this movie, and I <laughs> there's an interview with Simon Kinberg where he talks about the death of Mystique, and I realized that I've never in my entire life that I can recall, seen a situation where a director of a high-profile, big-budget movie spoils a major plot point of the movie by talking about it before it happens. I've never seen that in my entire life. I mean, like, I feel like the trailer really gives it away, too. You know, like, I know that, like, it's a trailer, and it could be misleading you, and this, that, and the other thing, but, like, holy shit, that opening... And then the cut to, you know, like, she's like, why would you make me do that? And she's crying. And then it cuts to Mystique. And she's like, she was my friend. She was my friend. Obviously, you fucking killed her. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just feels so, like. And that that scene's defense, when they say was, it could imply a breakup between the two in the movie. Like, they're no longer friends. Because I, I did not know that Mystique died. And when I heard that in the trailer, I was like, oh, I guess we're not friends anymore, whatever. Yeah, see, I didn't know that either, but my immediate thought was, she's dead. They killed, they're killing her off in this. And then Sean telling me that the director's already confirmed it, I was like, oh, wow. So, like, my feeling that the trailer 100% gave that away, like, that validates that to me. Yeah. So, yeah. Star Wars, The Last Jedi, had some trailers that made it seem as though... Uh, Princess Leia was going to die. It had it had right. very very yeah. deceptive trailers. Red, red and, herrings. Yeah, I didn't think that though when I saw it. Though well, you know, like I was like, oh, that's a red herring. The, like that was my reaction. The only reason the why sure did. 
The only reason why I felt that way was because The Force Awakens had similarly deceptive trailers. But if that trailer had been the, the, the first trailer like that that I'd ever seen, I would have thought, oh, well, she's just dead. So before I, I knew that she was dying in this movie before I saw the trailer, Mystique. But if I hadn't known that, I would have thought, oh, well, huh, are they clever enough to pull off a you know a Marvel slash Lucasfilms esque swerve and the, clearly they're not. What this represents to me is desperation, because Jennifer Lawrence is a very high profile actress. I believe that she wanted nothing to do with this movie at all. Mm-hmm. This right. is the worst looking version of Mystique we have ever seen. She looks worse than she looked in 1999 or 2000. She hates wearing she hates wearing the makeup. Yeah. She's made that abundantly yeah, clear. It, it's awful. And I believe that she dies in this movie extremely early because her death, if you, well, Simon Kinberg talks about how her death actually divides the team and uh. sort of creates <laughs> creates different camps, you know, with how people feel about what Phoenix did to Mystique. So I think uh, it's, it's she dies early, similar to how Cyclops died early in The Last Stand. And... It just, he's telling us now, and they put it in the trailer now, because this movie has no heat. And they needed to generate heat for this film. A few thoughts here. One, as much as I like uh, First Class and Days of Future Past, which I think are both very good comic book movies, um, I think Jennifer Lawrence is the worst part of both of those movies. (gasps) And the fact that she dies so early in this movie, supposedly, is a. I feel conflicted because... On one hand, it's very exciting that the worst character in these movies is going to die early. But then, Sean, you went and ruined it by saying uh, <laughs> that's going to be a focal point in the plot of the film, which made me immediately just groan in agony. You don't think it carries that weight? I don't give a shit about her character in these movies. Why does it carry that weight? Um, Because she and Charles were friends when they were kids or something. And then she fucked Magneto, I know. Emo- um, emotions! Emotions! That whole th- that whole thing just it feels to me like the the Tony Stark Steve Rogers fighting over Bucky thing. I was your was- friend too, Cap. But that was like good. Yeah. But okay, so um, I I'm gonna pull an executive decision here. Uh, I oh. think in lieu of a book club, the month this movie comes out, we should rewatch X Men Three oh, and no. then see this no, movie no, and no, see how no, it goes. No, yes. no, 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 no. Yes. No, 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 no. I am 1,000% down for that experiment, mm. Phil. Mm-hmm. I'm with uh, Phil. Let me check my calendar here. Oh, I'm busy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phil. These guys want to be cowards. You and I can go into this alone. I, uh, Good point. It sounds like Trash Boy over here is a damn yellow belly coward. Like the Trash Boy talking? Yeah. But, oh, well, I'm, I'm wearing yellow, but I'm not a yellow belly. Anyway, Phil's, Phil's a brave dumpster cat. <laughs> Listen, when it comes to the very first movie that was a just horrid disappointment to me, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm gonna skip it. Sean, <laughs> Sean, is, let, let me get my let me get my hot takes in. Do we have to watch this movie? Yes. You motherfucker. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> just real quick before we move on, I did want to say, Kale, I I agree that. Uh, X-Men Last Stand is literally the first movie I remember going to see and being like, 
wow, that sucked. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. when you're a kid and, like, you like everything that's, like, it's like, oh, it was a movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun. It was like, no, this was this was a waste of my money and I'm, it made me upset. Like, <laughs> I'm 11 and I want those two hours of my life back. <laughs> yeah, like, I had that moment and I had never felt like anything had wasted my time before. Yeah, I had no discernible taste either. I loved X-Men, X-Men 2 a ton as a kid, but you know what? Uh, I... It's odd I remember this, but I remember it wasn't Brian Singer who, who don't have to talk about him, but he got taken off for X-Men 3 and it was Brett Radner. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's not good. And when I watched <laughs> the movie, I left going, what did I just watch? That said, this is my final thought, folks. <clears throat> Could be good. Can't believe, can't believe he said all that bullshit and followed it up with it. Could be good. <laughs> this This whole era of the X-Men films represents an experiment that we've never seen before, at least not to my knowledge. And I want to know your guys' thoughts about this. So each one of these movies takes place in a different decade. And this movie in particular takes place in the 90s. So They do? Yeah, they do. So yeah, first class was the sixties. Uh, Days of Future Past the seventies, and I don't remember what Apocalypse the 80s, was. This was the 90s. in the eighties. So you know chronological order, right? Phil? Yeah, I don't fucking know. Oh, okay, uh, how to count? So no. So this movie taking place in the nineties. There's a moment early on between Mystique and Jean Grey where Mystique is speaking to her as if they have this deep relationship. And over the course of 10 years, it's very likely that they did build a deep relationship. The problem is that we saw none of that. Yep, yep. The first time we see Jean Grey in this timeline is in the last movie. It's in uh, Apocalypse. And in that movie, if I recall correctly, they don't have a great relationship. There's nothing, there's nothing huge there to justify this dialogue in this movie, yes, okay, fine. Over the course of 10 years, things happen. We didn't see it, so it may as well not have happened. It doesn't matter for us. So the weight that I feel like I'm supposed to feel, I don't feel. And you can say whatever you want about The Last Stand. That movie built off two prior movies of Jean Grey. This movie is building off one prior appearance of Jean Grey and an inflated source of importance because 10 years have passed for these characters. I I completely agree with you man cuz like Last Stand was disappointing because of how good the first two were. For the time, yeah, right? Yeah, you can argue yeah. about how they held up or whatever. At the time, those were two of the, you know, there were there were only like three or four good comic book movies ever. And those were the only contemporary ones at the time. Um and Last Stand was disappointing because it didn't live up to the legacy that they had established and it was like it was so bad it felt like that was going to be the last movie even though they had set up more and then it was you know so like that was like a whole it was disappointing because it wasn't good these movies are disappointing because they're hollow like they're they're pete let's not get our details wrong they were waiting for the perfect script and that's when we got x-men origins (laughs) that movie's bad too um (laughs) was that a movie where have i been (laughs) Yeah, you don't remember Wolverine Origins? Oh, Wolverine. Yeah, okay. Yeah, terrible. Um, but yeah, I think these movies are disappointing for the same reason that the DC movies are disappointing. 
is that they don't they don't earn anything. You know, they they are trying to set these things up, but all they're doing is like, let's base it off this famous storyline or that famous storyline or this famous character and hope that the name and like the diehards who want to see it and the groundswell of people who will read an article about it on CBR or IGN or whatever will go see it because it's supposed to be based off this big thing. And it's like yeah. not, you know, it doesn't it doesn't do anything to set the groundwork or make you emotionally invested. Whereas, like, you know, say what you will about the Marvel movies, like, the reason that they can build something like Infinity War and have it matter is because you've been invested in it for actually 10 years and you've seen these characters grow and change. And even if you don't like all of them, you like some of them, you know, and that's enough. And, like, it feels like something that you have history with because you do. Not because, oh, I read Apocalypse or I've read the Phoenix Saga. It would be cool to see that as a movie. Like, that doesn't work. Completely agreed. So the movie releases June 7th. Obviously, we will be uh, reviewing this. We have to. I have to. <sighs> and X3. Yes. God, I hope yes. I can not. I hope it's not available in English here. <laughs> I hope I'm moving for six months at that point. Well, well, Kale, you you have been taking French classes, so the expectation there is uh, we've raised the bar there. <laughs> You're gonna go see it with subtitles, you son of a bitch. So let's talk about some better movies uh, that also feature Marvel characters. Let's actually send some congratulations over to the cast and crew behind Black Panther, which actually ended up winning three Oscars. Oh, hell yeah. Um, Wild. Sure did. Wild. Yeah, so there was obviously a lot of conversation around Black Panther and what it would be able to do at the Oscars, and it did uh, snag three different awards. Uh, So it won Achievement in Costume Design. Absolutely deserved, too. Ruth Carter got that. That, Yeah, Yeah, 100%. Achievement in Production Design, which uh, Hannah Bielcher won. And then, uh, oh, and, and Jay Hart also won that. Um, and then Achievement in Music, written for Motion Pictures, which is just the original score, which was awarded to Ludwig Göransson. Yeah, that's that soundtrack's fly as hell. I think all three of those are super well-earned. Like, I think it's really cool that Black Panther won this year because, like, all three of those awards are, like, you know, they're, like, some of, the, like, I don't want to say, like, lesser technical awards, but I think they're awards that are, like, they, they carry less weight to the general public. But, like, it's really cool that this was the first year that any MCU movie won. And, like, I didn't feel like, I think a lot of people argued that Black Panther was only on the best picture list because, like, to kind of appeal to the broader pop culture fans and, like, blockbuster, people that just watch blockbusters. But I feel like all of those awards are so deserved in those categories. You know, I, I would go as far to say as it got. I think it should have won another award. Um, I, I knew it wasn't going to win, but best original song. I thought "All the Stars" by Kendrick Lamar should have absolutely won. Uh, instead, Lady Gaga "Shallow" from "A Star Is Born" is one, but pff, "All the Stars" was good as hell. I, I agree with you on a personal level. I think like that. I got why it won though. I that song know. was bigger. It was I like a, it, know. it was a hit. But I know. 
I do think, like, it was probably a top contender for that award as well, though. Well, maybe. <laughs> so, Black Panther representing the MCU at the Oscars. It's very, very cool. Um, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, man, like, I feel like, especially for, like, winning with the costume and production design, because, like, the fucking work that they did to, like, realize Wakanda was, like, insane. You know, I think that that movie has some of the best visuals of any Marvel movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the, just, the, the way they designed the city and, like, the the way that they, like, evolved the fashion and everything was just, like, out of this world. Um, actually, on top of that, a big thing that has been getting a lot of national news attention is this this movement and attention to something called Afrofuturism, which is highlighted... Sure, almost yeah. predominantly in Black Panther and won two awards because of it, because of the, the uh, set design and, and, and the costumes. And when you impact like larger culture in that way, like it's a no brainer that these two uh, categories were won by Black Panther. So in addition, and I think probably the one that was more celebrated, if we're being honest with ourselves, was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse yep. winning Best Animated Feature Film. Which is unprecedented. Hell yes. It actually it actually beat out uh Incredibles 2, which is notable and, and Ralph breaks the internet. But it beating out Incredibles 2 is is pretty I mean that's that's a pretty big deal. Um and I think I read I don't have it right in front of me, but I think it um it it this is the first time mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Disney has lost in ten years in this, yep. in this I think uh, it was category. yeah, it's been since two thousand and like uh six, I think, so that they've continually just won the at the awards. There you go. With like a gap here or there. Yeah, and like there's I remember I think it was in twenty fourteen there was the controversy where like they won on a particularly soft year and like the Lego movie wasn't even nominated, you know? Oh um, yeah, I, I seem to recall that. Twenty fifteen. Yes. Thank you. So yeah, like this is a pretty big upset, honestly. Like if you if you're like a betting person on the Oscars, like you, there's two Disney movies, you think one of them's gonna win, right? Holy hell! Do you know what the last non-Disney movie to win in this category was? Prince of Egypt. Uh, Rango. Oh, what year was okay. that? 2011. Oh wow. But yeah, this this is so well deserved. Like if if Spider Verse hadn't won, I think it would have been like rigged. The system's rigged. Yeah. Yeah, like, because that movie is, um, I, I said this on social media when it won, like, I'm, like, a big Spider-Man fan, so, like, I recognize I have a bias, but I think even setting that aside, like, this movie's an achievement in animation. Like, it was a whole new style, and it was so fresh and, like, just different than every other, not only every other contender, but every other animated movie that, like, I've pretty much ever seen. Like, you know, like, there was a a style and a flash to it that was just wholly unique to the film and, like, the the tone that they created. I would say it's a top five movie of the year, period, frankly. I agree. I think I saw a lot of people who were saying, like, it should have been nominated for Best Picture as well. And, like, I don't know if I'd go that far, but, like, I definitely think it was – it was just a great movie. I I loved Into the Spider-Verse. So – Rotten Tomatoes has made a move to deal with the trolls who have been uh, coming after Captain Marvel. Now, I think it was last week we talked about how Captain Marvel's um, 
audience anticipation score or whatever had dropped to the lowest ever. I think the lowest of all MCU films. I think I saw, I, the last number I saw was 29%. Yeah. And so basically what that is is just talking about people who are excited for the film. And I believe you can also even leave comments or some kind of review or something like that. Um, well, Rotten Tomatoes has altered the way that you can interact with films on their website prior to the film's release. Um, so the want to see metric that's what it was called, has gone away. And Kale was right. Uh, 29% was the rating before they removed um, that metric. So now an audience rating is not available at all until the movie has hit theaters, um, which makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, it's never, it's never, that has never really made sense to me. Like it, 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 it seems like only critics would be able to uh, rate a movie like that for, you know, before it even comes out. Yeah, I I think I understand why they were doing it. It's to see where the buzz is at for a film. Yeah. Right. It's hard to blame Rotten Tomatoes for something like that because you don't always anticipate the lows that people will go to. Um, and I think in, in if it's used properly... It, it is kind of a, a good way to see where people are at. Unfortunately, we live in an age now where people have figured out that you can you can do things like this. And so now, you know, they've had to make this change. What's sucky about it is that the people who do this are actually taking this as a win. And not only that, but Rotten Tomatoes has had to come out and say that they're not in cahoots with Disney and Marvel because they, you know, they chose to do this over a Disney Marvel film. And it's owned by Warner Brothers. So what's up? There you go. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a like lose, lose situation. Anytime you have to tangle with these people, because this, and I say these people like this kind of person, right? A troll, because to them, like any, level of attention or acknowledgement of what they've done is seen as a victory so rotten tomatoes taking this action in an attempt to um you know just like a limit negative press around things based on bigotry or or sexism uh is a, a move that i applaud them for you know uh it's their platform and they don't want it to be used uh to, to like they don't want their platform to be weaponized against movies that this vocal minority don't agree with right I, th- I think there's two types of people doing this i think you have the outright bigots who are definitely doing this because they hate women but i think you also have the type of person who thinks oh i know this is good i know th- i know this topic is you know uh uh tumultuous and and uh just uh, heated and they go in there knowing that uh, just doing this will make it's for the, the lulls as it were yeah, to, sh- yeah. to, sh- to stir the pot yeah they're just in there to stir the pot and just get create drama but even either either way right like I think this this is Rotten Tomatoes saying like we don't want our platform to be weaponized in that way you know to become a negative talking point so like 
you know, anybody who's, like, crying about, like, free speech or anything like that or whatever, like, you know, obviously, like, they're within their right to make this move, and I think they're making the right call by doing this. But to Sean's point, when they decided that they were going to put what is essentially, like, a hypometer on their website, I'm sure they never anticipated that it would become a negative talking point because people wanted to use it to review bomb any any uh, blockbuster that stars a woman. Yeah, I, I think it makes you sense. Know? It's just, like, stupid that we have to deal with stupid-ass people who are just like, oh, it's a woman. She's a lead. F- fuck this movie. It's, like, it's going to be bad. Right, like... Because it, reasons. Yeah. It, it, it sucks because that second type of person I mentioned definitely feels vindicated in this because yeah. all they were trying to do was stir the pot. Martin Get a reaction. Had to take it down and make a statement and they got exactly what they want. I don't think they care that it was taken down. I think they think it's hilarious. Yeah, and that, that's the unfortunate reality of this and um, it sucks. It, it won't affect the movie in any way and I think we learned that lesson already with Black Panther and with The Last Jedi. It's just annoying to have to keep talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing I'm most concerned about is I really hope that Captain Marvel is cuz I feel like the the situation with the last Jedi like there was gas on the fire because like a lot of people who weren't you know like up in arms about it for um bigoted reasons were like there there were a lot of like people who were legitimately upset with the movie so it continued the conversation around it for like you know, well, how much later are we from out from that movie? And, like, there's still people that talk shit about it and start shit about it. And, like, I feel like Black Panther was, like, of such an undeniable quality that, like, I feel like that conversation died when it came out and it became, a, like, a cultural moment. And it was like, all right, like, no amount, like, of, of people trolling or being, like, shitty about this movie is going to, like, change the narrative around it that it was good and it was positive. And I don't know that Captain Marvel is going to achieve that same thing um, for a number of reasons, you know, like. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, Captain Marvel drops for us uh, next week when this episode releases. It will be dropping on Friday with sneak previews. Fuck, really? Thursday, yes. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) So normally we would just make this the main topic, but we've talked about Captain Marvel a, a little bit here of late. Uh, I, I did want to spend some time talking about this film and our expectations and where where we are at with this movie before it comes out. Um, there's a lot to say, I think, some of which we have said, which again is why it's not the main topic. That's the only reason. Um, but I, I, I do want to talk about it. So are you guys excited for the movie? Where would you place your level of excitement in comparison to some other films and how do you feel about the conversation surrounding this movie so far and then lastly where do you think it's going to end up do you think it do you think it's going to be good uh so trying to go trying to answer those questions in order as much as possible um i my excitement level is about where it is for any of these movies that I don't have a vested interest in like infinity war or like something like that is obviously a different held to a different standard in my mind, because it is like an event. Um, so unless it's like that or like Spider-Man, you know, or another character who I'm like all about in that way, I don't 
really get excited for any movie that much. Like, um, I'll, I'm eager to go watch it. I'm sure, you know, I think I'm going to enjoy it. I, to answer your other question, I do think it's going to be at least good. Um, but I wouldn't say that I'm like hyped for it. And I don't feel like its marketing strategy has done much to change my mind. Um, I don't feel like the trailers have been bad. I feel like they've been very paint by numbers though. I feel like it's going to feel a lot like a, um, phase one movie. And that's not inherently bad, but these movies have grown a lot since phase one. And I expect different things from them. And I, I wonder if I'm going to have a similar reaction to it that I did to like Ant-Man and Wasp, where I was like, this is all right. Like I, I enjoyed it and I, I was kind of hot on it coming out of it because I was like, this was fun and this was funny and whatever. But thinking back on it now, I don't feel like there are a ton of memorable moments. And if I was going to go rewatch all the, the Marvel movies, that wouldn't be one that I'd be like, oh, I can't wait to watch this, you know? So I don't know what about this movie, aside from its time period, is going to feel particularly fresh. Um, because, yeah, it, like it's it's Marvel's first female-fronted movie, but, like, how much is that going to play into it? Like, you know, like, is that really going to move the needle enough, or is it just going to be, like, this is a, a superhero origin movie set in the States in the 90s, wait, you wait, know? Wait, wait, Pete, you're excited about the time period. You're getting that X-Men uh, Dark Phoenix. Maybe you'll get your ska <laughs> soundtrack in that. Man, I'll tell you what. If they Boy. if they do that, I'll feel a lot differently about it. But wouldn't 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 that be a wish on a monkey's paw? <laughs> no, yeah, yes, it fucking would, Kill. I all here's the thing. The thing that's gonna put this movie over the top for me is if there's a scene of Captain Marvel fighting a bunch of bad guys while no doubt. Oh my fuck! That's how they God. can. That's, that's how they can elevate this shit to ten out of that ten. Is awful. Uh, <laughs> I, might, I might skip. I might walk out on a movie if that happens. Go ahead, Marco. I, I agree with a lot with, of what Pete says. Um, I think I like. I I don't get hyped for these movies anymore. It, it's just I know that they're coming out. Like I know that it's the next thing in in sort of the story in the way that they're telling it. So I for me, it's like all right. I I need to go see it because I need to go complete this storyline that they're trying to tell. Right. So. This movie, though, I think to what Pete said about it being uh, like a a first wave Marvel movie, that's sort of been my fear about it based off of the trailers. It's like I know that they've grown so much more than that and can can tell a better story and it can drive a better narrative. And I don't want them to sort of be I don't want it to be that kind of a movie because those weren't necessarily their greatest, but they were. Like they had their flaws. They were good, but they had their flaws. And I feel like the Marvel machine has sort of moved past that and, and can do a better job. And as for where the conversation is, I think like it's at least from where I've been hearing about it, it's been good. People are looking forward to it. Um, the marketing machine for it has similar, similar to what Pete said, has done nothing for me. So, I mean, I guess the conversation around it's cool. But I mean, outside of me not necessarily being excited, but not necessarily not wanting to go see it, you know, I'll wait. I'll wait to see where it is because uh, my hope is that it's better than that first wave, but doesn't lose the hype that it has because this is again that first, uh, the first female-led Marvel movie. I think I'm I'm a lot more excited about the um, the impact that this will have 
culturally, similar to Black Panther. I don't, I don't think it will be, you know, you know, it's not going to be Black Panther for women or whatever, um, you know, and, and I don't think it needs to have that sort of impact, but similar to Wonder Woman, I, you know, I'm excited to, to see little kids be excited about a superhero who, you know, looks like that. Um, and I, for me, that's what is important, um, with these movies. Um, as for my excitement, yeah, the, the past, the past few movies, and that's, that's even including Avengers Infinity War, um, have been kind of disappointing to me. So I don't know. I'll go and I'll see it and I'll have fun. And that'll be that. Yeah. Man, I, I don't care. Uh, All right. <laughs> um, uh, like there is only one movie I'm excited for right now, and it's it's Denny Villeneuve's Dune. That's the only shit I. Really Hell care about. yeah. Otherwise, you know, I'm just indifferent. And Joker. Um, that's true. That looks very good. I'm very intrigued by that. I don't think it's gonna be bad or anything. Uh, I don't know what to expect. It could be middle of the road. It could be good. Uh, we'll find out. Uh. I, I just don't feel any sense of anticipation over it, but you know, we'll see. I think I, I think one thing that um, I just thought of as you were saying that Phil is that they haven't done a good job of sort of setting the expectation as to like the quality of the film because of the way that they've marketed it through the trailers. Like a lot of the time, like for Black Panther, you'll see like they'll have um, when they were putting out the trailers, they'll have sort of portions of the movie that carried a bit more uh, weight and character, but where. The Captain Marvel film sort of just been showing the, the action, more actiony parts, and shying away from sort of the stuff that provides a little more detail of the story outside of the plot, and like the little. S- Listen, you can't, you can't, you can't rely on a trailer. Uh, going into Black Panther, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it was gonna be average. I didn't know if it was gonna be good. It ended up being very good, um, because you watch a trailer for something like Man of Steel, which was a goat trailer. Yeah, the movie ended yeah. up being oh. average. Film. <laughs> just admit it Sean so, no, I, I admit what I like the movie that it's that that's the wrong opinion it's not an opinion <laughs> it's how I feel about the movie uh, uh, that is an opinion, opinion. <laughs> no I enjoyed it I had a I had a feeling of enjoyment about the film you can't tell me that I'm wrong for enjoying something I said, and if I you feel that way then you're dumb <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you can't judge anything by a trailer. Is this the reality of it? We're in an age where uh, it is. If your movie doesn't have at least an above average trailer, then it's you fucked up somewhere. Frankly, I think I think that's that's a a good point. Trailers are good. Trailers are are really easy to produce. At least based on what I've seen from Hollywood, they've been doing it really well for a really long time. And it doesn't even matter what the quality of the actual movie is. You take three minutes of, of you know shots from here or there and splice them together and you could make a masterpiece um i i, I want to preface what i'm gonna say with the fact that i actually really like captain marvel um in in the comics and i've enjoyed her for a long time my hype level for this movie is not where i thought it was gonna be and i don't i don't know exactly why Part of it, though, and I hate to have to say this, but I really, I think this is just what I feel, is that there's something that feels manufactured about the way that Captain Marvel has 
gotten over the last the last yeah um it's so it's it feels like like you know in the wrestling world the equivalent of this would be like roman reigns or john cena it feels like they're doing something on purpose to get a character who people don't necessarily inherently care about into a position that they want them to be in inorganically and i felt that way even when civil war 2 was dropping it was kind of like well how did wh- why is captain marvel the one in this position it felt weird it felt unearned sean where where did you think your anticipation what, what, what was your anticipation going into this like what did you want to feel oh i i wanted to feel you know like that that surge of like oh my god finally captain marvel and i think there's a few reasons why i don't it feels late yeah, I, I don't like the fact that they're saying out outright she's the strongest character. She can beat Thanos. She's gonna come in, and you know, at least the impression that I've gotten—I don't know if the verbatim has been that she's gonna come in and save the Avengers, but that's what it seems like. They've absolutely said she's the strongest. They've—they're on record with that. That doesn't sit right with me. I want to make this clear: it has nothing to do with who it is. It has to do with the fact that. I want the characters who have been around for 10 years to be the characters who drive whatever the end is going to be. And I don't like the insertion of somebody new into the equation that's going to significantly impact the events on the hero side. Yeah, and I think I think to that point, Sean, the fact that like the first movie we're seeing her in is a solo movie that establishes that, oh, well, she was relevant. 10 years before any of those characters, you know, or, or longer. Um, yeah, it, it, it feels like a little... It's the thing you guys accuse the Fox thing of, where it's not earned. Yeah, like, it, it's very, like, deus ex machina. Like, oh, we're fucked. A good thing <laughs> that Nick Fury called her right before he got disappeared, and she's gonna show up and turn the tide of the battle, and it's like, uh, okay. Like, I'm not saying that they can't make me care about her and can't make that feel earned, but I agree that on its face, like going into it, that's something that is a turnoff to me. It's it's curious that they haven't integrated her or weaved her into any of the storylines previously, considering that the way that the that Marvel likes to sort of plan out its movies and and, and sort of forecast where it's gonna go. Like, why haven't we we seen that in so that way it doesn't feel that inorganic to just place her I, I hate to be this cynical about it, but Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, what? Like, I think, I think, I, I think like the success of Woman. Yeah, I think the success of Wonder Woman probably had quite a bit to do with that. That's completely possible. Uh, and I, that's I, I, to to let me let me be specific as to why we're seeing that now. Yeah, yeah, like this is a response to that yeah. more than yeah the alternative. I think I think you're probably right about that at least on some level. I, th- I think Marvel's always believed in Captain Marvel in the sense that, as Sean has noted, she's received a big push in the books the last six, seven years. But it's completely plausible in my mind that Marvel Studios was unsure of having a female lead uh, as a protagonist of their films. And I think an example of that is how hesitant they were to pull the trigger on a Scarlett Johansson-led yep. Black Widow. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think yeah, I think that's like the proof. I wanna I, I wanna provide the the logic counterpoint. So with Black Widow, the reason that we didn't get a, a movie before 
and why she was featured so little and compared to a lot of the other Avengers is because of Ike Perlmutter and the um, the cabal, if you will, of right, different right, right. people that they had shooting their mouths off about what you could do in an MCU movie. Oh, yeah. yeah, That didn't end until late phase two. And that's where the quality shift comes in with phase three. But when you look at what was planned for phase three, the movies that they made, those were always the planned movies. Those were always the movies that we were going to get. I think the only movie that was not originally on the slate that got added is Spider-Man. Remind, and sorry, remind me remind me again what Phase 3 was. So Phase 3 consists of Guardians 2, Thor Ragnarok, Spider-Man, uh, whatever the hell, uh, Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, and now Captain Marvel and uh, Infinity War 2, Endgame. Endgame, yeah. Did you include Civil War in that? Uh, that's... I, I, I guess you could... It does. It does count yeah. because it's Avengers two point five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's te- yeah. That's technically the start of Phase yeah. three, according so, to Wikipedia. So there you go. That's Ant Man is the last Phase two movie. Yeah. So all those movies were always the plan to come out. The only one that changed was Spider Man, and we lost in humans. Um. So I don't believe that Wonder Woman impacted their decision making because they were making these decisions a long long time ago and the the fact that we didn't get a black widow movie has more to do with the people who were in charge way many years ago than it does anything else and that that represents anything about the time we're in sean i was gonna ask you a question earlier when you were talking about captain marvel being the most powerful character in the mcu and her roman reigns-esque push i haven't read marvel as closely as you have in the 2010s is Captain Marvel at this point stronger than characters like the Hulk or Thor? Because she certainly wasn't in the late 2000s. So I don't know if she's gotten a huge upgrade since then, so power-wise. That's what's, that's what's so weird about this, too, this declaration of her power level in the films, is that the comics don't reflect that. Uh, she's obviously, you know, pretty powerful. But... They don't. I. I don't think that nothing I've read suggests to me that she's stronger than Thor or Thanos or Hulk or anything like that. I mean, she definitely busts Iron Man's ass in uh, Civil War Two, but that's not hard to do. <laughs> yeah, so did Thor. Yeah, so in the first Civil War. So, so I. I just. I. I just don't really know why. Uh, why that's being done? And again, it fuels. It fuels the wrong kinds of thoughts. It fuels thoughts of like, well, they're just doing this because she's a woman. They just want to have a woman main character and they're going to give her an immediate power boost to say, hey, she's the the strongest, so she's the best. And I don't want to feel that way because I genuinely have affection for this character and love for this character. Don't push me there. I think the question is just why is this movie happening now? Like, why didn't it happen earlier in the timeline somewhere? You know, and like, and I, I think we feel that way now because of, and take the whole like maybe the Wonder Woman and everything out of the equation. If this has been their plan from the beginning, why? Why is it 
over 10 years into this project before they finally gave us Captain Marvel if that's who they want her to be. Because, you know what I mean? Because it took that long. You're talking about a character that nobody gave anything about before 2005. When. Right. Sure, but nobody cared about the Guardians when they made the Guardians. That's not true. The Guardians of the Galaxy were popular among people who they were popular with. Captain Marvel didn't have a Miss Marvel at the time, didn't have a place in the MCU in the, in the Marvel universe. The Guardians were very very prominent in the Annihilation storyline, everything Marvel Cosmic. Those characters featured well there. And then on top of that, That's it makes fair. a lot of sense to me why Marvel would want to take an offbeat team to introduce a lot of characters at once. And allow them to play in an entirely different sandbox. There's nothing that Captain Marvel gives you that you didn't already have. I I, I think I think it's a little more nuanced than that, frankly, because I would say Captain Marvel was probably a little more recognizable than the Guardians in the late 2000s. I think the Guardians were a really uh, niche group that comic book diehards were aware of, but I think comic book casuals probably knew who Miss Marvel was. Uh, additionally, a big reason why the Guardians of the Galaxy movie was made was twofold. One, it was something James uh, James Gunn came up with, and two, they didn't have the rights to the Fantastic Four, and they wanted to do something a little more cosmic. So it kind of worked out in a little couple ways here. That's but I, I I let me finish my thought here before you jump in. Um, I think the reason why they're doing Captain Marvel now to answer Pete's question is I think they see her as the crown jewel for phase four. I think they were, they're moving her to be the centerpiece for the Marvel movies going forward. That is true. I think the last part of what she says is true. And all of that is well and good. But I said prior to 2005 and prior to 2005, no one cared about her because she didn't even have a comic book. It wasn't until Bendis took her and made her an Avenger that she all of a sudden had some stock. Now on top right, of that, neither did the Guardians. On top of she that, was she was in uh, the Avengers before Bendis made her one. No, I'm I'm talking about like at that time she had nothing going on, and then because she was on the new then, Avengers team that he did. That's, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That new Avengers run is what skyrocketed her her status. Um, that's in that's that's inarguable. It did the same for Luke Cage and Spider Woman. Right, that was that, that did, was that the point contra- of the run, and then on top of that, you cannot take that version of Carol Danvers and put her in this movie at this time. It took all of this time to get her to a place where people would have been comfortable with even seeing that character on screen because of how she used to look, and Brie Larson would never have played uh, Miss Marvel that way. It took. All of this time to get her to this place. Sure. Other than that final thought, I don't think anything you said contradicts what I said because Guardians of the Galaxy were launched in 2006. Before that, they didn't have a book since the early 70s. They were already a Z-list crew at that point. They just had gathered such a big cult following in the late 2000s. Your point is that Bendis made Ms. Marvel a little more recognizable. And I would say Bendis' Avengers book was a lot more recognizable to casual comic book fans than the Guardians were. But your point about uh, her transformation from Miss Marvel to Captain Marvel, I think is a completely salient one. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that angle to it. But I, I, I do want to just double down on what Phil said there as well. Because, like, 
that was around the time that I started reading comics seriously, and I knew who Miss Marvel was. I was not familiar with the Guardians of the Galaxy until years later. So, to wrap up this conversation, uh, I am I I I am anticipating this movie, and I really do hope it's good. Um, I think we are looking at the character who's going to drive the the bus in Phase Four, and. I don't know how to feel about that yet, but I also haven't seen her on screen yet. So it's going to take time. We're going to see her in back-to-back movies because she is in Endgame. Um, but this very much also feels to me like you, you guys ever see, well, you've all seen it. In Star Wars, you see like the little ship, right? And then you see the Star Destroyer <laughs> right behind it. <laughs> this feels like that. This feels like, hey, here's this little old movie. And here's this big ass movie that everybody's hyped for. Um, it's hard for me to get too excited <laughs> for a, a movie about one character we haven't seen before. When the literal end of 10 years worth of storytelling is coming right behind it. So we'll see though. Hoping it's good. Could be good. Thank you, Marco. Thank you, Marco. You, you know, quite frankly, we could have saved ourselves 20 minutes if you would have said that back then. <laughs> it's not my fault you guys talk a lot. That's true. No, it's your fault. Uh, yeah, well, it's, you it's don't talk enough, so we have to make up for it. Well, you don't have to. Uh, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> Let's talk about something that's that actually takes place in comics. Let's talk about... Well, actually, this doesn't take place in comics. I just realized that. Um <laughs> Takes place in Walmart's. <laughs> no, this 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 actually takes place in bookstores. Uh, so Serial Box is partnering with Marvel Comics, and they're going to be telling new, different kinds of stories that, quite frankly, I've never heard of in this exact format. So let me take you guys through what I'm talking about. So Serial Box does long form stories called serials which are sort of like a season of television and they're all 10 to 16 installments and they take like 40 minutes to read and if you read them all you get a you know a season long story um and and what's really unique about this too is that it's not one writer one book it's actually a writer's room that collaborates on figuring out what the stories will be. And then I imagine each writer takes one of these chapters and then, you know, turns it in. That's cool. That's really cool. It's kind of like that. Um, What was that? That zombie sort of series that takes place in the day and the night of the living dead universe. Um, I, that publisher. I oh my that, god, yeah. that was yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like it's like that's what they were trying to do, but this is the way that they're executing it better. Yeah, and but these are and these are books, which you know makes it really interesting because I've never heard of this in in book format. So hmm. the characters that they're going to be working with are Black Panther, Black Widow. Jessica Jones and Thor, which is a, an eclectic group of characters for sure. But what do you guys think about this? It comes across to me as like the old, um, uh, you know, the way they used to publish like uh, Dickens novels. Um, you know, uh, I mean, serially. Um, right. You know, they put out a chapter or so at a time, and then you know it was 
a penny farthing or whatever the fuck and you know uh and you could collect the whole story this is kind of like how uh how tapas kind of operates well tapas you do like as weekly in series uh weekly uh series but you can release stuff in bursts and there's a couple of creators that, that do that um i think warren ellis has recently or not warren ellis oh my god um ugh. I'm forgetting his name, but he 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 releases it in uh, Garth Ennis. That's it. He releases his stuff on online oh. formats in like a little burst sometimes when he's not doing larger creator owned stuff or stuff in the comics. He does stuff on webtoons and tapas um, in that similar format, and it's it's really effective because people come in, they read whatever they need to read, and then they bounce until they wait for the next announcement. Yeah, I think the thing that's most appealing about this to me is. I've never really been drawn to the idea of like novelizations of comic book characters um, because obviously a big part of comics is the art. Mm. So I've never really understood the point of like, let's do like a more prose oriented story about, you know, Spider-Man or Batman or whoever. Um, So, but I think that the fact that these are released in a more like digestible format of like this is a short thing you could read in like 40 minutes or whatever for whatever reason that feels like a little bit less like of like a commitment you know like you're reading the same thing over the same amount of time or whatever but like i don't know something about that feels like a a more like a better match for the way that we are used to consuming comics yeah i i totally see that for sure i think I think that this is pretty smart. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I always I always say this, but DC gets a lot of the props for the way that they're trying new things. And Marvel really doesn't. Uh, but this is an example of them doing just that. This is an example of them trying something different. You know, the novelizations of Marvel characters have never really popped Whereas mm-hmm. you got like Star Wars, for example, that people love those books. I love those books. But Marvel never really was able to get that. And now with Wolverine, The Long Night, that seemed to go well or whatever that thing was called. I think it was The Long Night. Yeah. The podcast. The podcast. And then this now. And you can also get an audio version, uh, at least of the books that they have published. I'm not sure if these these exact stories will get an audio version but i think that it's cool that marvel is trying something different with their characters and i think that even the choice of character speaks to the fact that yeah it could be spider-man but if it's jessica jones there's different people who might want to read that you know Mm -hmm. yeah it, it could be hulk but if it's black panther maybe you get some different kinds of people in the bookstore or you know however they get this did your hosers mention me? Oh, Canadian Wolverine, hooray! Oh, you guys are mentioning my favorite podcast, eh? Oh, it's good to be back. It's good to see you, Canadian Wolverine. How have you Did been? Did you guys get renewed for season two? I'm sorry? Did you guys get renewed oh, for season leave. two? Oh, of course we did. My star power alone was able to carry us through. And to answer your question, Petey, oh, I'm drunk on Molson all the time, but me can- my Canadian healing factor makes it not last very long. So it sounds like you're living well. 
Oh, I'm living the high life, wearing my toque, and watching a lot of hockey games, eh? I, I hate I'm glad this. Glad to hear it, Wolverine. Uh, leave, anyway, leave we're, now. Anyway, we're, we're getting a book about Canadian Wolverine in this series. The novelization of me life. I don't think Canadians say me. <laughs> I was in Ireland a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. Instead of Japan, Canadian Wolverine spent a couple of years bumming around Ireland oh, fighting samurai. You gotta kiss the Blarney Stone over there. It's part of the rules. Anyway, gotta go. Alright, we'll see you later, Canadian Wolverine. Love ya. I'm the best at what I do. And what I do is very nice. <laughs> it's very nice. Lovely. Alright. Let's move on and talk about Walmart. No, let's talk about DC's comic book line at Walmart, which is ending. So, wob, wob. a very short-lived experiment, but it's actually expanding in a way as well. So, they're ending the exclusivity portion of the relationship between DC and Walmart, and those 100-page issues or specials will now be available in stores across the U.S. That's so, sick. Yay! comic book stores will finally be getting these. I think a lot of people uh, were frustrated with the fact that they weren't coming out and weren't available everywhere. I know that I wanted to read them and I, I, yeah. I couldn't. I've heard I've heard a, a lot more people say that they their Walmart didn't get them than that they had them. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the problem that like Walmart was not a particularly good partner on this because there are millions of WalMarts all over the place, and that's like why that exclusivity was so attractive. But I went to multiple WalMarts within driving distance of me, and none of them had any of these books ever when I went to go pick them up. The the stories that they've already told will actually be reprinted as you know graphic novels, which I think is pretty cool because I know that some of them were good. I, I don't know the quality of all of them, but there were some that were good and certainly some that I wanted to check out. So, Phil, I know you, you uh, felt the same way. So are you into that? Yeah, I mean... I remember when that first Tom King Superman issue dropped. Uh, I had to go to like four Walmarts to find it. And I eventually found it in the middle of Bumblefuck, Pennsylvania. Oh, I love that place. That's where my yeah. parents are from. Yeah. <laughs> it's right next to Intercourse, Pennsylvania, which is a real town. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, that's a real town in central PA, Intercourse. But um, we out. it was just, it was such a bitch to find. And I was only to get, I was only able to get two of those issues. Um, now that it's getting a little more, uh, now that it'll be a little more easier to find, I'm, I'm, uh, I guess I'm a little conflicted because while I like those two issues, the third one was the one that got uh, universally criticized for the way it treated Lois Lane, and in light of how Tom King has really been kind of lately, uh, my anticipation's down a little. Uh, as odd as it sounds, I'm, I'm still kind of interested in Bendis's Batman, which is a Walmart run. I'll tell you why you're interested in that. It's because Nick Darrington's on the art. I'm interested in that. Yeah, he's very good. I only got the first one, and uh, not not much happened, but um, I'm into the concept. Interestingly, now that these will be readily available, I'm not sure that I'm going to buy them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted them when they were hard to get and hard to find. Sean's saying that he's a mark, Marco. Well, I mean, I've always said that. Um, this, this. But what makes that? A, what, how does that make him a mark? I'm not sure. 
Be- um, what? Be- because it's that it's the fucking collector's mentality. It's the same reason that I have 150 amiibo. No, no. Because <laughs> I'm not a collector. I don't. I don't buy things for the collector's value. I wanted them because if I were to read them, like it was, it was different than going to the comic book store and picking up, you know, any old comic. So that felt different somehow. Now that they're gonna be everywhere. It's like, all right, well, whatever, it's there. Wait, um, isn't it still different from picking it up at a comic book store? Well, the, they'll they'll be at comic book stores. Will they? Oh, will they'll they? still be yeah. at Walmart, and, and stuff, they'll right? still be they at Walmart. Just they just they're just not yeah. exclusive anymore. Um, but Sean still won't be able to get them at Walmart, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Which I, I, you know what, I get. I, I, I was gonna criticize you the same as the rest of these chums, but. Frankly, I I do understand that. That does, it does have a unique experience to it that now is just like, eh. Thanks, Kale. I'm surprised you agreed with me. Ah, shut up. All right. Uh, In other news, (laughs) we on brand we talked about the 10 to 15 percent cutback over at DC, and apparently that has actually already happened. And we talked about that and speculated on that a couple weeks ago. And Dan Didio himself now uh, has has commented, um, with in in a in a in a weird in a weird way. Uh, apparently, there is a private retailer Facebook group. Oh, sure. <laughs> and sure. and uh, Dan Didio took to that forum to talk to the retailers as a follow-up to Comics Pro and the conversation that they had there. Several of those retailers shared what Didio said with Newsarama. So here's what Didio said. We feel there are too many collections in the market and the shelves are overcrowded with nothing standing out. We are rethinking ways to build collections, including adding material and the print versions that will not be available in the digital now right there he's talking about collected editions and i want to i want to fly back to that but the portion that's relevant to what i was just saying is yes i did say we are trimming the line 10 to 15 percent but it is something we've already done and it was mainly to reduce the number of lower selling books and redirect resources into other initiatives at dc like our young anim- like our young adult line of books we will be adding titles but it's to replace other low books and not just overproducing so this represents an overall idea at dc that the market consists of too many titles. This is actually something that Didio said in 2018, uh, August of 2018, which we agreed with back then. Him and Jim Lee did an, a big interview where they talked about that very thing, and that was one of the things that he said, and we we did agree with him. Now I wonder. I wonder. Go ahead. I wonder if what we talked about last week, uh, you know, we counted the number of of titles, and then we we mentioned that several of them are are ending soon within i think within the next like six months if i recall correctly um i wonder if that's already if that's what he's talking about i i I do believe it is i think when he talks about you know trimming i think it's what we've seen and it's what's coming age of heroes the new age of heroes that's already you know basically gone um and then what's ending and the lower selling titles and things like that that makes sense to me 
Uh, and I'm for it overall. I think it's the right idea. I think, you know, what we talked about, I said, it's the right idea. It's a weird way to go about it. Didn't really care for the messaging too much. What he says about collected editions, though, that is really, really strange. And I'm not sure how to feel about it. And I really want to hear what you guys think. So I'm going to restate what he said. We feel there are too many collections in the market and the shelves are overcrowded with nothing standing out. We are rethinking ways to build collections, including adding material in the print versions that will not be available in the digital. Collected editions. So trades, uh, hardcovers, omnibuses, absolute editions. Right. Anything that's a collected Right. Uh, to me, I read that as, like, them trying to make them more attractive by not just making them, like, here's the six issues. Right. You know, like, whether that's, like, including more, you know, like, some of the artist drawings and that kind of stuff that we always get, like, the concept art, like, making them, like, higher quality books, maybe, like, you know, like, making them, like, instead of being, like, a floppy book that you read once and then throw on your shelf, like, that's more of a coffee table book, you know, stuff that's, like, a little more ornate, you know, like, just trying to make it a more desirable product rather than, like, adding content, per se. Well, and and, and I recall, um, I don't know, last summer, I read, uh, I had gotten Champions, and I was, I was really, really excited about that book, and I, I got it as a trade, and it was four issues and it was on really bad paper and the the book itself was it felt really flimsy and it was probably like 20 bucks yeah yeah um whereas like the the dc books i've picked up and and have gotten fairly recently are at least decently thick you know it doesn't it doesn't feel as cheap you know yeah, and it's you get, usually get good value for a DC trade. Like it's twenty, but so a lot Marvel trades are usually five to ten dollars more expensive for the same amount of issues, and um, DC usually has pretty good standard quality of paper printed on them. So um, that's a, for me. If I'm at a shop, I am more attracted to getting a DC trade just on the you know bang for my buck aspect. Well. When you, you talk about making the the uh, trades more attractive, I think that I think that's tough because the the things that you could do and so, some of the things you could do would be more expensive. And I don't know, like I'm not gonna buy, you know, Batgirl Volume Three, Trade One just because it's on better paper or because they added bonus material or because because because. I'm going to buy it if I care about it. And the idea that, that the market, the collected edition market is oversaturated. Uh, maybe that's true. But if I, if I'm a trade waiter, not putting that out, doesn't help me putting it out helps me because I'm buying it anyways. That was my intent. I don't think trades are necessarily the same as, you know, floppies in the sense that if you buy a trade, Typically, you already knew you wanted it, and if that's not the case, uh, like let's say you're a new reader and you just want something Batman, you're gonna buy whatever's there. You know, oh, this looks awesome. I'm gonna buy it right. Impulse buy kind of thing. Um, 
So I don't, I don't, but obviously Dan Didier understands the market way better than I do. But if you're talking, but if you're talking about something like, for example, they canceled a bunch of, um, uh, bigger collected editions. Like they canceled an omnibus, a couple omnibus and things like that. I can't remember exactly which yeah. ones. So one, of, uh, one of them was the Swamp Thing one. And well, then I think the that, Titans oh, that, as well. Yeah. And then. Necessary yeah. loss. Uh, I think, I, I, I wonder if it's sort of a grab at the market share that they don't normally hit. Uh, which is trades a lot of the time you'll see a lot more independent books images do image does great on trade sales black uh some of the more indie pubs boom dark horse they do really good in terms of those kinds of sales because they don't necessarily market to a week over week reader but they do so more for people who buy in store in bookstores for example and i wonder if that's sort of a pivot to try to grab those people back and retain some of that share that they've lost in overall collection and trade sales. To that point too, I think that the image books a lot of times are, are really attractive to new readers, like because of how they look too. Yeah. Like I think a lot of those trades are like, they're really nicely designed and like they, a lot of them, you know, like I, I don't feel like I've ever bought one of those trades and, and felt like the paper stock wasn't yeah. there. And the the price point is like it's like ten bucks and you get five issues. Right. Yeah, like ten bucks as like a point of entry, like every one of their first volume books is ten dollars. Yeah. I I guess the the overall point that I'm I'm trying to make as Marco Downs line in a drastic fashion <laughs> is that I don't I don't know what they could do to make them more attractive. It I mean I, I did read that some of their orders that, that some of the some of the books they canceled some of the collected editions that they canceled they canceled due to low orders that stores weren't ordering them the way that they wanted and again it's like if I want to have a collected edition of let's say Batman rest in peace right if that's something that I'm into the idea of that then when it comes out I'm gonna buy it you don't need to do anything fancy. If if the fancy is there, oh cool. All right, there's extra bonus stuff. That's nice. But I'm not going to buy it because of that. And if that makes it more expensive, eh, now I'm now I'm even less inclined to buy it, to be honest. I I I just want it. And and low orders from stores that's that to me has more to do with the fact that hey, do we really need the the fifth version of All Star Superman, or do we, you know, like, do you reproduce the same stuff? I I I am the type of person inclined to buy a fancy version of something that I really like. I bought the Absolute Edition, the Final Crisis. That's not the same. That's not what I'm talking it, about. Y- yeah, you're only going to do that for the things that you feel really attached to. You're not going to do that for your. I don't know. What's a book that came out recently that I really liked? Um, like um, something Martian like Omega Man. Sure. Okay. Say Martian Manhunter gets a uh, you know twenty issues or something, or twenty six issues. Um, I'm not gonna buy. Like the most I would buy is like a um, a trade like a, probably. Well, yeah, maybe the collected, or, maybe I'd, or like the collection. Yeah, like the you're, entire yeah, thing. you're not yeah. gonna buy a hundred dollar absolute edition right. for a, a storyline right. you liked but didn't love. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I literally only own two of those, and it's for two of my favorite books ever, where it's like the, here's like the big, nice, special edition that's hard-covered and special, you know, and, and one of a kind. kind exactly. Of I am way into that. I, I love to buy those kinds of things, but I'm only going to, you're not going to entice me to buy one for a character I don't care about or a run I don't care about if I didn't care about it. I'm going to buy it because I already read it and because I liked it, and I want to have it all collected in one thing. And that's the that's the that's like the um, thank you for producing this amazing thing that you did, however long ago. Here's my extra money for it. You know, yes, right. Whereas the alternative is the totally opposite kind of consumer, where the uh, the goal is maybe not that you actually wanted it. You know, or that like you that this is something you definitely already were interested in, because I think to the point that Marco brought up about the image books, a lot of those books, I think get sold on the exact opposite mentality of like, I heard about this once or this looks pretty cool and I'm looking for something new or maybe my local shop recommended it to me and I'm like, it's 10 bucks. Fuck it. I might as well pick it up and give it a shot. And I think that like, to your point, going in that more you know, um, the higher quality direction for that actually works against sales of that kind of the impulse buy of the, this is cheap and expensive, good way point of good way to get a point of entry into something that I might. Well, an omnibus is never going to be that because it's a hundred dollars. So that's, that's the volume is, yeah, that's out the window. If you're, if you're talking about trades, like I said, I think that's an, that's an more of a, an impulse purchase market or a, Hey, I was recommended or, or you walk into the shop. Hey, what, what, um, what wonder woman should I read? Oh, well, here's this. Okay, cool. I'll buy that now. If it has bonus content, that doesn't matter to a person who doesn't know anything. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. This is something that we'll see as they produce these books, but I'm interested to see what DC comes up with. Cause one thing I will say, I do think that DC is smart to be thinking about these things. And if they yeah. come up with something smart and cool, great. Yeah, I, I honestly, just one last thing I want to add to this conversation uh, before we move on is, like, I do feel like this feels like they're thinking about the future. Because, like, him specifically mentioning the digital thing, I think, speaks to the fact that they are of the belief that physical comics are not permanent. What? You know? Why? Or not, like... Because I think like him saying that like we want to differentiate what you get at the physical versus the digital is to in- encourage people to buy physical if they need to bring the prices up. Is that like, oh, well, you're paying for the physical and it costs more, but you get this extra art or you get this extra behind the scenes content or or it's nicer or whatever. Because I think that, you know, just the realities of how dig- of how media is evolving and how digital media has become dominant in almost every space i don't think comics are immune to that forever i think we're that way now because that's the way the industry has been and that's and we're an industry that values tradition but i think that there will come a day where eventually we don't have where the predominant number of comics sold are not physical i i think that's an inevitability that's a bigger conversation yeah, that's, for another time, but I, I don't know about that. That That's, yeah, be that as it may, whether that's true or not, what he's saying is that 
there's a lot of competition in that space. He said it's overcrowded. And they want to make DC books more appealing. They want to make those collected formats more appealing. When you walk in the store, Midtown Comics, there's like hundreds of trades. What the hell do you buy? What, you know? And if and, and, and his logic is, okay, what can we do to make it so that when you walk into your local comic book store or whatever, and you see that Batman, it stands out to you among the Avengers and the image and everything else. Well, and to my point, that I just made, I'm wondering if this doesn't show a shift in mentality where they're like, maybe the option or the right path forward is to make less of these collections, like to only print books that people are, are more interested in buying. And that if there is like the volume three, four, whatever of some smaller title that already doesn't sell that well on singles, maybe they don't make that a, a floppy. You know, and they do wait to put out an omnibus of the whole run and hope that people That's, buy that. That that would that would be I can't even imagine how bad that would be. Because think about it. If 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 if, if the trade is doing poorly, why would the omnibus do better? And those things are huge and so hard to produce. That's already a a like hardcore thing to buy an omnibus. Like yeah. the average person doesn't buy that. So if you're a, just a regular fan, you're not picking that up. And maybe that's their hope that you're going to – they'll be like, well, you can go get it digitally if you didn't get it at the store. And, like, they want to drive more of that business because it's not – because, like, if there is a book, like, to your point, right? Like, talking about – Batgirl maybe isn't the best example, but you brought that up earlier. So maybe if it is volume three or four or whatever of Batgirl and you're not picking it up month to month, their answer to you is going to be like, well, go get it digitally. You know, because there isn't enough money in putting that in a volume. I think that's alienating a whole crowd that is going to be lost. Yep. But if they're cutting these books because people aren't pre-ordering them, like, does that crowd exist enough to warrant the business model is my well, question. We This conversation is mostly based around, like, what what the, the cancellations that we've seen. I don't know. I'm not going to say what he's talking about. I'm only going to talk about what we've actually seen happen. The cancellations have been based around either um, Omnibuy or Absolutes or like a reprint of something that already exists. Like um, the 20th, the 20th yes. copy of the killing joke. Yes. That's what, that's what we've seen canceled. So with that in mind, that's what I assume he's talking about. If if I can, I I I um I wanted to also make this connection to the um I, it was I want to say it was the Marvel hip hop covers. Yes, you've got the last that point. Then we're gonna move on. The Marvel had, and I I think this might have come out of last year's retailers conference, but the the story was basically that Marvel was demanding stores order. A certain number of titles to get one cover so like of one they would have to order 200 copies of one cover to get the next variant called the hip-hop cover of and this was on titles that mostly didn't even sell you know stuff like nighthawk or whatever I, I really wish we had more time to talk about this because what you're bringing up right now is a conversation that has to happen 
and there's no reason it can't. I I think this is easily a main topic down the road. Yeah. yeah. Um, just we should quickly comment on it just because you brought it up. Uh, yeah, that's a shady tactic that many, many, many publishers use, not just Marvel or DC, to sell more books. And one thing that I think people forget and that I didn't understand for a long time is that anything that gets sold this way is the store buys it from the publisher. Like, that's the that's the relationship. DC doesn't sell me anything. Midtown Comics sells me stuff. DC sells, you know, to, 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 to Midtown. And so if Midtown buys 100,000 issues of a comic, that would never happen. But if they do that and one gets sold, well, the other 99,000 or whatever, uh, they go in the dumpster, you know, they whatever. Right. And so, yeah, because they, they don't buy them back either. Yeah, you, they don't uh, they don't they don't like buy they back used to. You you you, well, you know you take the you take off all the covers and then you you give them back and they give you a certain percentage back. They don't give you full reach full retail. I don't think that I think happens they, anymore. Yeah, yeah, they used to do that. They don't do it anymore. They they still do it. My my local shop they does they do it every like Monday or something. Oh, do they? Yeah, because I I feel like I recall that they stopped doing that not that long ago. Wait, are you are you saying Marco that the store allows you to do it or that the store does that with the publishers? They do that with with the publishers. Okay. Well, again, obviously there's a lot of meat on that bone and we will return to it at another time, but we need to pivot because we have to talk about everybody's favorite comic book, Heroes in Crisis. Oh. Uh, Wait, is there a difference? <laughs> wow. Alright, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about Heroes in Crisis number six. Um of nine, as Marco loves to point out. Thank you. Thank Ugh. you. Two thirds of the way through. We can we can do it. We'll home say, stretch. Just, home stretch. Three more conversations. We don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> so this one actually featured uh the art of Mitch Jareds, who jumped in. Uh Hell yeah. and um uh, well, let's start with that. I think he did a really good job. What? I I honestly thought it was someone else. Really? Like I I uh it looks a lot like um fuck, Phil, help me out here. He um he was on Green Lantern after the new 52. He has um shit. Um he has a, a weird style that looks a lot like this. It's a it's almost like a Oh, the the figure sort of looks way different from the background. Who knows? I'll find. I'll figure it out. Meanwhile, uh, let's talk yeah. about the book. I so I'm like, fucking trying. I disagree very very strongly, Sean. Because okay. going on to like page three, where Wally and what's his face embrace. Like if you look at the proportion between, uh, 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 uh all right. I don't know. Flash the yellow Flash. His arm compared to where okay, his that's, compared that's, to where his shoulder is is like elongated unnaturally. That's not the length of a shoulder. There's another scene far uh, farther down where you get to uh, Nar where his like face is just Nark is like parallaxed almost. It's a uh, towards when he's on top of the mammoth and he's writing and he's having this whole conversation with himself. The very last panel has him like sort of warped in its perception. It's. I, I honestly was, was was shocked that this was the quality of art that Mitch produced for this issue based off of what I've seen 
in uh, Mr. Miracle uh, and uh, Sheriff of Babylon. This was, I think, a weaker performance. Not necessarily bad. I think it had just moments where he definitely didn't come up to where I've expected him to be at. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Uh, I I agree with you on that one page um, where the two of them are embracing. I remember thinking that those proportions were a little weird and some of the, like, even just, like, looking at... Um, like Wally's like hips and his legs—they're yeah. a little off. But did you see? Do you do you remember? Um, I want to say it was Ivan Reese's or Ivan Heiss. Um, his uh, his rend- uh, rendition of this, their legs were like three miles apart because because you can't have two bulges touching each other without <laughs> it being gay. Yeah, I don't know. I. I, I didn't I didn't come away feeling badly about the art. I I I mean, I guess I see what you guys are saying, but um I I'm with you, Sean. I actually don't think the art is uh bad at all. I read this I wanna be clear, I'm with you guys in terms of overall quality. I just mean that one page. I get what Marco's saying. Yeah, I Sean, I think I think it uh I think it looks good, especially all the caveman stuff. I was really impressed with some of the uh, with a lot of the art there, um, no, I I think the art's actually really good. This I'm 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 not gonna hedge on this. I'm gonna go even further. I'm gonna take a step further towards Sean on this. I think the art's the primary shining factor in this issue. I think it's to me this, and this is I guess getting away from that specific question about the art, but I think this is the best issue of the series, probably so far. Whoa! Um, well, wait, 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 Time out! Time out! Do you mean artistically? No, I think overall. I think this is the issue. P, I agree. This is the issue. I, I good. I'm glad you're with me, Marco. That's all right. You know what? Hey, listen, fellas. Three. I mean, hey, two out of five is fine. Hey, hey, shut up! I had to fight my battle solo. Let's let these chumps go out and get eaten alive. That's fine. Okay. This is insane. Yeah. Okay. Explain. Okay. Um, I'm interested to see if Marco agrees with me for the same reason. All right. I think that this issue, in terms of like what actually happens in this issue, this is what I wish the entire book was. I said a few weeks ago that I don't like the framing device of Heroes in Crisis. And that I thought that the elevator pitch for Heroes in Crisis, the first time I heard it was good, and I liked it. And I liked the idea of exploring how superheroes feel about trauma and, you know, like, their mental state and all that stuff and how what they do weighs on them. So, like, for me, if if the entire book had been an anthology-style thing like this where it was an interview with the person – and then them like monologuing about how they feel about stuff, I would be like, okay, cool. Like that seems like a fun thought experiment and if a fun way to explore these characters. And there are a couple moments in this issue that like I thought really worked for me. Um, and I can't say that about like really any other issue of the book. I like I liked the first issue and I was like, oh, I, I think this is interesting. And I find the mystery, like I'm not into it. And I think that like, King has been building to something the entire time and we're six issues in and I, and like, it's still, it's still not interesting or engaging to me. Whereas like some of the character moments that he set up here, I did find compelling and I would rather that have been the entire focus of the book. So I, I, I don't disagree. 
I don't think that I came into the issue necessarily getting that, like getting that. Um, but I do sort of see where this can be sort of like a meditative study on characters. And I feel like that would be intriguing flick for me. If it was done well. <laughs> sure. But but like more in this, to what Pete said, like not with that whole subplot of like, oh, somebody murdered these people. And like like just having the overall narrative be this meditative sort of deconstruction of trauma within these characters. Uh, that would that would have been cool. But for me, what I took out of like this issue is there was a bit more of, I guess, what King's original idea for the storyline might have been like this whole monologue of Narc and how he's dealing and understanding with his past, where he is now, and like the. Okay, you good. I'm trying to. Fi- I'm still trying to figure out who this artist is. Uh, and and, <laughs> <laughs> and like. <laughs> It, it it worked. It, it, it worked for me. It, it was exactly sort of what I was expecting this to have come out from King and where the story would have been going and, and where he's trying to, to take it. But the murder mystery element is throwing him off and he can't balance those two, I think. And this, without that context, makes, for me, the story works. Yeah. you. I agree with that totally. Th- this, is, this is crazy. Okay. The murder mystery part... Of Heroes in Crisis has been bad. No one will argue with that. But that is not the core issue. The core issue is that nothing happens and anything that does happen is random and weird. So, for example, Superman's big speech, right? We all all criticize that on some level. Yeah. That had nothing to do with the murder mystery. That was just a, a, a weird choice by Tom King at a weird point in the book. There have just been some strange choices. And this issue is full of strange choices. And I'm going to start with the first one. And Wait, I'm going to j- pr- j- just to clarify, I- I'm not saying that this issue serves the story. I'm saying it's a good issue and it's the best one that has been out of this like out of this run. Like okay, I, I, over, I, agree, over, I agree with that opinion. Overall, this series is trash. Okay, yeah, and I'm going to make sucks. that clear. But, <laughs> but this issue was fine. I okay. enjoyed no, this issue. No, fine. No, no, no. Get out of here. I'm, Get out of Phil. I'm happy that you enjoyed it. Now let's have a real chat. Who the hell is Narc? <laughs> let's go, baby. Who is that? He um so he pops to up in the Teen question, Titans. Yeah, he um in Titans Hunt, he um he's one of the founding Titans that was sort of um in the new 52 original group of titans that didn't know they were titans because mm-hmm. wally wasn't around right okay he's older so, than that he, he goes back to the 70s but he's always been a minor ass character yeah but that's his he's that's his titan. recent relevance i don't want any more z-list characters <laughs> to be introduced who have nothing to do with anything and spend several pages pontificating about god knows what nah. i am tired of that and, and nah. to only die yeah and to just die okay but that's but that's the thing is like to me that's the problem of the framing device of this story like if the entire book had been a mixture of a-list to z-list dc characters sitting and having a therapy session and then talking about their personal philosophy 
I would be interested. Dude, if you, that's if, that's the point, Mark. If you want to read that for nine issues of a comic book, I literally can't recommend anything to you because there are no comic books that do that. And if that's this book man. did I mean, that, this book would but not sell. I don't want to read nine issues of therapy sessions. I want to. I don't want to read nine issues of what we got. Like that's the point. Is like the book sucks already. Yeah, but what you're suggesting is nine worse. Issues. Marco and I don't agree. Th- then you're crazy. You, there's no way. Th- look, there's no way you actually want that. You, there's no, no way that no. you, Pete and Bessie, would buy nine issues of a comic book if all they did was talk. Guaranteed. Wait, 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 wait. Why wasn't I brought into that? Why you either? Because you, because no, no. Marco would buy trash. We all know that. <laughs> well, um, that, yeah. But this is the thing. I, Sean, I'm reading this issue halfway through and i'm saying what's the point what is happening what is the actual narrative what is the narrative here um we're developing these characters that we don't know we don't care and they fucking (laughs) die and this character is talking in this bullshit philosophy 101 class dialogue that is trying to seem deeper than it is yeah like he's he's dying and he's like Referencing the allegory of the cave by Plato, and it's like, maybe, maybe it didn't matter if I saw the shadows on the wall. Maybe it doesn't matter if I was in the cave. Maybe I should have just enjoyed life. And it's like, fuck you. That's exactly what you talk about when you're dying. That's 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 the kind of verbiage you use when you're when you're on death's door. I don't I don't disagree with that part, but if there wasn't the framing device of the murder mystery, then that would Cool, matter. so then he would just be saying these things and <laughs> we would just have to read it and then the issue would just end. Oh, wow, yeah, life was so beautiful. The end. Heroes in Crisis issue 9. That sucks. That is awful. There's nothing compelling about that. This is There's not no good heat. because no it's heat. not being written well. It has nothing to do with the framing device. It's just being written badly. And the way that I know that is because there are other comics that have done this that are better, like Identity Crisis, which Tom King basically should have just rewritten because that is one million percent better than this. Man, that's saying something. Um, This is the other thing. So... The central focus of this issue, by and large, is Wally West, and it. I, I would. Is that true? I don't know. Yeah, he's, yeah he, I would. He's, he's one of the three big central. Uh, this book. Okay, let me rephrase. This whole book is so unfocused, and it's a huge issue. Yes. Okay. And I would say Wally West was one of the three got centralized. It. I got it. Phil, shut up. It was Daniel Acuna. Woo! His Mister Ross art looks like Daniel All Acuna, right. and it. It's not great. I yes. love Daniel Acuna. I just want to point. Well, that you're out. listen. You're wrong. <laughs> Phil, love I'm very is sorry wrong. That Kale, 2019. Out. Just want to point <laughs> that out. No, Kale, I'm giving you a platform here. Do you have anything else you want to say? No, yeah, he no, doesn't. That's it. Finish your thought. I, you know what? I could I could not talk for the rest of this episode. Let's and do that. I would be vindicated. Phil, go for it. <laughs> okay, so I would say one of the three central figures of this issue was Wally West. The other two being Bullshit Caveman and uh, Harley Quinn. <laughs> Good night. Um, yeah, right. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so they retell Wally West joining the rebirth, post-rebirth DCU, uh, which was in The Button, which was written, I believe, that that part was written by Jeff Johns. And, or it was in Rebirth. It was in Rebirth, yes. the issue. Yes, yes. 
And that was written by Jeff Johns. And he rewrites the dial. Tom King rewrites the dialogue of him returning. And a big thing in the Flash book, from my understanding, is that Flash doesn't remember his family right away. He has to learn that knowledge later. But Tom King rewrites this whole thing to satisfy his shitty ass narrative. No, he uh, he um, he remembered his family right away. It was in Titans. Right. I don't know how was it was afterwards. in Flash, but that was after. I, I, I thought it was Flash. It was Titans, but it was afterwards he remembers his family. No, he does it pretty much. He goes looking for Linda Park right away. Yeah the the problem the problem was that they didn't remember him. Oh, okay. Either way, either way, he rewrites this entire dialogue of this scene that everyone likes. I, I mean, that's the problem is for me that you took a story that's been unfolding for the last two years, right? Which is Wally's return, and you throw in the rewritten dialogue, as you said, from Rebirth and expect that to just be a catch-up for everybody. Okay, now we understand that he misses his family. Why doesn't he know who his family is? If you're going to catch me up, smarten me up. I still don't know. And then, (laughs) on on top of that, he dies! But also... But also... (laughs) You can't develop a character emotionally without killing them off, you guys. But also, we've been told all this. This is Wally's, like, he just repeats Wally's whole conflict again. Yeah. Like, that that's what that the whole last fla- flashback issue was right. about. Right. Yeah, and if he's as, it, look, in stories, I'm not an expert, but this is what I know. In storytelling, central characters do things, right? If you're building a narrative around an individual, that character has to do things. They have to take action. Wally West's only action is to die. So why do we spend so much time with him? Why do we spend so much time with characters who are dead or dying and no time with the characters who can do things? The characters who can do things don't do anything. This, this, and this is the other thing. This issue restates shit we already know. Heroes have PSD, uh, uh, PTSD. We know that, Tom. Uh, Harley loves and cares about uh, Poison Ivy. We know that, Tom. Uh, Harley saw Booster Gold kill Flash. We know that, Tom. Wally misses his kids in his old universe. Tom, we know that. <laughs> yeah, I, but I think, like, you guys brought up the fact that there was, like, the flashback issue. This is also the second filler issue. So there are two flashback issues and two filler issues in a book where nothing's happened. That's the bullshit here. Also, the to your point, Sean, the thing about, like, main characters. Who's the main character of Heroes in Crisis? Tom yeah, King. Good fucking question. Tom King. Yeah, no Tom one, King. though. Is the, yeah. Like, it should be an anthology. Um, Sean, uh, did you read the, the Batman tie-in? Uh, no. No, I didn't. I haven't read it. Oh, great. Okay. There's a tie-in for this? <laughs> yeah, there is. There is a Can tie-in. we... Ugh. Real quick, I'm surprised Phil hasn't brought this up already. Oh. Can we talk about... I know where you're going Can this. we talk about the worst page in the book? Yes. So, okay. So this is my prime... This is one of my... One of my primary issues of the book is... The fucking words. There's so many of them. He goes... <laughs> He oh, goes. Yeah, he yeah. goes <laughs> The the words. <laughs> First, I was gonna say dialogue, <laughs> and I just reduced it to what it is: words. He goes full Brian Michael Bendis here, where it's just words on words on words on words, and there's this one page in particular where it's just 
fucking full bendis between Harley and Ivy. It's a splash page. It's like and it just it's full. It's full bendis and, for sure. <laughs> and that's not something you want to emulate. What you never go full bendis? Oh, this page. <laughs> oh, oh god. Yeah, 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 with, yeah, with yeah. The, yeah Where they're the just talking back and forth. It didn't help. I'm sorry, Har. It's not your fault. I'm still sorry. At least I'm not uh, bored. Yay. Like, it's like, oh, God, so, that was tough. Well, it was tough to get. I'm not sure why you have a problem with this. This is what you wanted. You, you, you want this. You want this for nine issues. You're, you're totally like missing. You're totally missing the entire point of what I'm saying. And it's like, fine. If you guys want to make fun of me, fine. But like, that's not what I'm saying. Listen, good writers, and that sucks because I think I've typically and historically considered Tom King to be a great writer. I I don't know what the deal is, and I don't know if he's limited to writing a certain like narrow theme here. But a very capable writer can make dialogue bounce and experiment with the presentation of writing. That that plenty of writers have done that historically. I, maybe that's what Tom is trying here. But he's doing a terrible job. I don't know what he's trying, but I do have a question. No, it's not. The, the, um, what's his name? Psycho Pirate. Yeah, the Psycho Pirate mask appears a few times throughout this issue. And is it, is it the Psycho Pirate mask or is it the, the mask for the, the fucking sanctuary? Is that what that is? I thought that was Psycho Pirate's mask. I think it's I think it's supposed to evoke that, but I I mean at least there's nothing. Well, I think the, it's just similar. The cover yeah. of the issue has the psycho pirate mask. That is that is psycho pirate's mask that she's holding, right? No, no. That's that's the that's the the mask of the the people. Like like you're supposed to be kept. Place. You're supposed to be kept anonymous, Stupid, so they keep man. the mask yeah. on. Why 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 would they need to be anonymous if I the caretakers are robots? Well, who have their memories wiped after every and interview. Superman well, and Batman and Wonder Woman all know who's there. It's not. It's that there are multiple people in at once, and they're trying to keep everyone anonymous from each other. Yeah, is what I recall. Gosh, I really can't tell that's you, Harley. You have a mask on. <laughs> well, that's why they wear the great big white robes too. Right, that helps. Uh, <laughs> look, you guys. Marco and Pete seem to like it. I'm glad you like it. I can't. I I no, I I said I liked things about it and that it was the best issue of a series I've been highly Hedge. critical Hedge. of. You liked Hedge. it. That's fine. I'm I'm saying you liked it and that's fine. My thing is that to me this this comic book hasn't even gotten out of the blocks. This feels like the first issue, and it's not. It's the sixth issue. And yes, I I am so disappointed with this that I can't even begin to express the difference in how I feel about this now versus when it first started. And I I think that ultimately, you know, we can call into question whatever portion of this big idea that we want to. For me, the problem comes down to execution. Because on its face, this is a concept that should have heat, and it doesn't. It's a concept that should have legs, and I should feel things, and I don't. I don't feel anything. 
the I love Wally West, and I'm a new I'm a new fan of his. I'll, I'll admit that I I only really got to know him in the Rebirth, but they've done a lot of good things to make me care about him. And you're talking about a character who died, and I felt nothing. And they keep showing him over and over again, and dying over and over again, and I still don't care. That's a failure. If anything, it waters it down further. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I took out of this issue, the only thing I was able to grasp was that, okay, Booster Gold did actually kill everyone. Thank so you. Fucking, fucking that's maybe. where we're at. Fucking I'm glad maybe. you took it there. That's the last thing that I want to talk about. I don't think that Booster Gold killed anybody. And I think that, I think this is another, you know, red herring. Probably, you know, there's a missing angle that we'll see in another issue or something like that. Where we'll see the exact fucking thing again. Right, but uh, we'll see, you know, somebody else did it or he's influenced somehow or some crap like that. And, and to be honest, I really wish they didn't even do this. If Because in the first issue, if you do this, it's like, alright, oh my god, Booster Goal, now he's on the run. To do this in the sixth issue, it's like, okay, again. you've already implied... That he did it. Why do we need to see yeah. this? You're just trying to fake us out again about something that we already like have our opinions on. Well, and if I and if I recall if I recall correctly, in the last issue, Harley and Batgirl are breaking into Blue Beetle and Booster Gold's house to bring him in for it. Yes. I I, I wanna say yes. Yeah, I, if I recall, if I recall correctly, that was the last thing that happened in the last. Issue. I believe that's what they were trying to do. Yeah, but um, isn't this a flashback to to yes. those events? Yep. Yeah. So, so the we, I've said this like three times talking about this, but the thing about a murder mystery is there has to be heat when the, when if if there's a reveal when there's a reveal you have to be like oh shit didn't see that coming or I knew it with this. Whatever the reveal is, it's like, okay, moving on. I, I mean, this, there's nothing to reveal here. Well, the reveal is who actually killed these people, and it's probably neither Harley or Booster, probably. Yeah, so nothing was revealed. Well, eventually, like we, issue we eight, still, issue nine. Right, but in this issue, we still don't have anything. Right, it, the tires are spinning in the mud, I know. Sean asked uh, what... what summarizes or is indicative of the issue here and it, i think it comes down perfectly to when uh uh philosophy caveman dies because he says in that last philosophy caveman. <laughs> he says in his last panel but maybe nork overthink it and that's what the issue is maybe tom overthink it the issue that's what's happening that's what's going on with this entire comic book right yeah exactly i mean the one thing that I do agree with uh, what you said, Pete, is that, you know, the focus the focus on the murder mystery is the problem. The fact that there is one is fine. The focus on it is the problem. The focus ought to be how the characters feel about what has happened. And that is not the case. Superman's chilling in bed having sex with Lois Lane. Batman's hey. making jokes about whatever the hell that was. Um everybody's Wonder Woman's not Wonder, talking. Yeah, Wonder Woman's not talking. Everybody's chilling when uh, presu- are dead. presumably dozens or or you know who knows how many but you know several heroes have died and everybody's chilling. I want to see Superman's rage. I want to see Batman go and take 
take this on for himself and find out who did it. Not let Batgirl handle it. Batman wouldn't do that. It's or fine that she's flash. doing it. Yeah, and the Flash. Of course the Flash. Wally's dead. What's the Flash? I'm yeah. done. I can't talk about this anymore. <laughs> I can't. Um, I, I, I would like to just bring up the one piece of art that I actually did like, um, and it's that uh, that splash of Wally walking out of the light. Um, that's good. That's it, though. Look at his body, though. He just looks odd. I think it's the light. I think it's just a cool, you know, maybe thing with the light. I I don't know. I think it's a cool. I'm, gl- yeah. I'm glad you. I'm glad you were able to find something <laughs> here to enjoy. That's the one thing in this thing I liked. Closing thoughts, anyone? I dug this issue. Fuck housing crisis. It, guys, it's just it. It's just three more conversations. Thank God. Oh, six of nine, seven of nine. Next people, come on. We can power maybe. through. Power through. Maybe. Everyone. You're such a after, maybe. Listen, maybe after this we can be friends again. I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know that <laughs> I want to. So the damage has been done. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Housing crisis. crisis. Oh! oh my God. The next. I hate We're you so, so much. Big Phil. I this know. is this is what Pete wants. The next nine episodes are just going to be therapy sessions. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be each of us uh, clipped together, saying nothing but something at the same time, but nobody's going to be able to figure out what it is. Holy shit, that's a fucking hilarious idea. If we all went on an Instagram video and just had these faux-ass therapy sessions. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, that is our Heroes in Crisis number six review. Uh, Pete, did you want to get a last word in on this? or No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trust me, dude. You'll regret it. Uh, I'm over talking to you about this. Fair enough. This. <laughs> I, I, I feel that. Um, we will be back with another review of this book when the next one drops next no, month. No, let's, let's talk about something better. You know what's better? Doomsday Clock is coming out next week. Next week, we will be talking about Doomsday Clock. We also have our Captain Marvel review out for you guys. So, lots to look forward to. If you are enjoying Heroes in Crisis, I am dying to know why. In fact, I'm going to peruse the internet later to find out how people really feel about this. Because last I checked, it wasn't getting over, but we'll see. Uh, of course, if you are enjoying it or you just want to chat us up about anything we've talked about on this or any other episode of the show, there are plenty of ways you can reach out to us. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Connect us up on social media. We are at the Comics Pals all over the socials. Uh, and, of course, if you're on YouTube, you can leave us a comment and let us know your thoughts. And while you're there, you can leave us a like, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. Let's do some plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come talk to me about anything we talked about this week aside from Doomsday or not Doomsday Clock. Jesus Christ, that's a good book. Uh, Heroes in Crisis because I this this has drained me. Um, so come connect with me, talk to me about stuff and things. If you want more content from me, you can find me over on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, along with Sean. Uh, this week we'll be talking about the new generation of Pokemon games, which have finally been revealed. I'm very excited to talk about them. Um, Can't wait to be on that episode. So yeah. Hell yeah. Woo! No. Uh, <laughs> and then if you, if you want to get some more content from me you can check out my work over at loopots.com uh, where I 
it's Nintendo website. We do Nintendo stuff. It's Pokemon season. So uh, I actually just worked a little bit on a video um, taking a deep dive at the the Pokemon read the new re- map of Galar, 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 Gollum. whatever it is. Uh, so go check that out. All right, Kale. <clears throat> You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TotoInto, that's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Uh, and you can find my books with Panels Publishing uh, on Comixology under Panels Publishing. Awesome. Marco. You can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I did want to plug Icarus and the Sun by Gabriel oh, Piccolo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, hell yeah. yeah, yeah. Shout, Shout outs. Out. Uh, he is going to be releasing an Indiegogo campaign next Tuesday or tomorrow when this episode drops march 5th at 7 p.m gmt 11 a.m pacific time so if you guys are fans of his art the stuff he does definitely go check it out i'm definitely gonna back that you've definitely seen his teen titans Mm -hmm. fan art and it's hot fire so go check out some of his original stuff yeah he's a great instagram follow phil Oh, yeah, brother. If you want to talk about how Sean and I make an excellent 2019 edition of the Mega Powers and that we are always right when we agree, which has been a lot lately, uh, let me know that on Twitter at uh, hashtag MegapowerPals. Oh, go. yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's a hashtag. Excuse um, me. Kale's old, he has flatulence issues We all know that Um, As for me, you can find me on All social media platforms At Cyborg Bebop I just recently picked up a hardcover Of Jeff Lemire's Moon Knight uh, Which has been collected in a hardcover Which is rad as hell That's cool So if you want want to talk to me about that That'd be pretty cool I think that was one of the better books of 2016-2017 So yeah uh, also, as Sean mentioned at the top of the show, check out our book clubs. Hellboy came out last month, and uh, now Captain Marvel is coming out uh, ahead of the movie. So listen to that. It's out already. It's out now. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, as for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to have a group therapy session about Dark Phoenix. Because we need it. With that, yes, I, I know I do. Uh, Feels bad, man. It sure does. Uh <laughs> With that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. Do you know what? what, Good. (laughs) That's it. Cut. What what you got, Cal? Hope Booster Gold comes into my house and kills me so I don't have to do this anymore. (laughs) Holy (laughs) bullshit.